0: Hello and welcome to the Nevermind Polly podcast. My name is Matt, I'm your host, and we chat to rock and metal bands from around the world. How are you all doing? How are you all living? I hope you're all doing well, Revulus, in this podcast. We appreciate you for checking this episode out. I need to do a couple of thank yous before we begin. I need to do a massive thank you to Marshall Records. I need to do a massive thank you to Harris over at Marshall Records for setting this interview up i got to sit down with andy of the band therapy this week absolutely incredible what a fucking hero um therapy to me are one of the most important bands growing up and to sit down and chat with andy was fucking wicked talking all about their 16th studio record hard cold fire and um let me tell you this for free ladies and gentlemen it is an album full of to wall bangers really really great this conversation was epic as well uh, andy is so fucking uh, accommodating and so open about everything that uh, therapy have been doing for the last 34 years um it's an incredible feat to to be a band that long and to still be making some really really interesting really really great music and um we get into everything in this chat it's a really really good fun um yeah so a massive shout out to to harris over at marshall records shout out to um andy over at therapy and thank you to therapy's um kind of management things for allowing me to have this opportunity and thank you guys for listening because you guys uh, make up the numbers you guys uh give me this opportunity to sit down with people like andy so thank you for listening if you want to help support the show financially you can over at patreon.com forward slash nevermindpoly podcast if you don't want to can't or whatever that's absolutely fine uh the next best thing in fact probably better is tell a friend uh recommend the podcast to someone subscribe subscribe to us on youtube that's all free to do tell your nan about the podcast tell your dog i mean i'm not sure if dogs can access podcasts but you get my point anyway this is my conversation with therapy on the never mind poly podcast let's get fucking to it baby see you on the other side Hi guys, welcome back to the Nevermind Polly podcast. My name is Matt, I'm your host and we chat to rock and metal bands from around the world and it is my absolute esteemed pleasure to bring you this podcast today. I'm sat down with Andy, frontman and guitarist of the band Therapy. How the fuck are we doing, sir? (laughs) Uh,
1: I'm really good, man. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, I'm good form today. Really, Uh, really good
0: absolutely love it love it love it love it it's a it's a friday what's mm-hmm. what's the worst that could happen that's what i'm going with today <laughs> you are you're uh the second out of four interviews i'm doing today so i'm I've oh, already wow, i've already i've already had one uh directly before you so i'm on quite i'm quite loose i'm quite on good form at the minute at least i hope so so <laughs> i'm good <laughs> should be all right Um, So we're here predominantly to talk about the 16th, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, 16th studio record from Therapy, Hard Cold Fire. Um, I don't, you know, I get sent a lot of music, right? And I'm very grateful for that. But there is not many times that I audibly do like a little squeal. When this came through, I was like, fucking everything's done. I'm not doing anything else today. Literally blasted for it. It's fucking great. Um, So my first kind of question really is... After 15 releases, are you at all nervous about the 16th or is it just kind of business as usual for you guys?
1: <laughs> no, we, we always are nervous, but um, the hardest part for us is because we write quite a lot of stuff and we know we narrow it down. So, you know, during the whole lockdown we've written, I think I think it was something like the guts of 20, 20, 23 songs. For sure. And we were rehearsing every single, whenever we were allowed back in to rehearse together rather than remotely, mm-hmm. which is what we've been doing we were going through everything that we had. yeah. And if you, anyone that knows therapy knows that we've got so many influences.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the
1: nervous bit is, well, what way are we going to go? Because we've got songs that were very complicated. We've got songs that were very direct and punchy. Mm-hmm. And we went down the latter route. Obviously, we've chosen very direct, kind of what we think sort of are very focused songs. And we left kind of the more experimental stuff, as people know in the past, we've done albums like that. yeah. And that's when the nerves start. So we go, okay, is this the kind of record we want to make? But... We thought, you know what, after COVID and lockdown, the kind of other tracks that we've written are kind of meandering, melancholy, Mm -hmm. dark and intense. These ones are a bit more punchy and upbeat and we think people have been through enough, so let's go with this. Mm -hmm. Let's go down the short, sharp, sharp directorate and we're glad now. But there was that little bit when we chose the songs and we got the producer involved and, Mm and he said, I agree with you boys, you're doing the right thing and then once you once the album's done <laughs> yeah that's when you begin to think oh maybe we should have went a bit more off pace, but
0: retrospectively
1: we're so glad we, we took this choice
0: absolutely and that that's the thing as well it's it's such a hard thing uh, i can only imagine being a, what, I, what i would call a civilian in terms of not being making music and things where you know, you you go away and you craft this thing for, you know, the minimum of, say, a year up the way to, you know, if you're talking like Chinese democracy levels of, of crafting a record, and then you put it out there, and people are either like, yes, this is the best thing you've ever done, or this is the worst thing you've ever done, but the, what you don't want is the middling indifference of just going, oh, okay, it's just another record i guess so
1: <laughs> i agree with that yeah
0: but um i was gonna say it's you know i'm a huge fan of therapy anyway so it was always gonna be uh whatever you guys put out you know you could put out an album full of fart noises and i'd probably fucking hail it as brilliant to be honest <laughs> probably says more about me than anything but uh <laughs> um one thing i did want to talk about as well is kind of um because it's very easy to look forward and go like how much stuff we've got to go in terms of anything if you're running a marathon if you've done like 20 uh 20 at 20 miles up the 26 you always looking. i've got six more to do but like 34 years if i've got my maths correct in the game with therapy mm. is a long time it's a long time to yeah. put a commitment into something how do you kind of feel, um, and what do you think is the success and longevity of, of therapy? Because I know personally, looking at it going, well, it's decent songwriting, it's a relentless touring cycle, it's just constantly putting out things and content and making fantastic music, but how do you
1: see it being being part of the machine and things? I think for a band like Therapy, uh, what, would it, what was initially our disadvantage has maybe worked to our benefit in three years, so... yeah. When we started, we were from a very unfashionable part of the world, the mm-hmm. north of Ireland.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, we played this really weird mixture of metal, mm-hmm. indie and punk.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so this was like just before, you know, when it, after grunge happened, metal and, you know, the crossover metal and indie, things were different. But at the time, whenever we started, it was quite tribal. Mm-hmm. No, we knew from the day one we knew the way that we looked the way we were as people none of us were particularly cool none of us were entitled people you know yeah there are some people in bands that you know from the moment that they're probably 12 or 13 years of age yeah that the whole world knows they're going to be a superstar of course yeah. uh, you know, either because of the way they look or because of whatever god given talent they have that you know they're a prodigy by the time they're 14 yeah but with a band like therapy you know we weren't uh, the other two guys were young, they were 18 when we started. You know, I was 22.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and it wasn't something that was a given. Mm-hmm. It was something that we had to work really hard for. Yeah, of course. And then Trouble Gum didn't happen until we'd been together as a band for nearly five years. You know, we'd been yeah. going from 1989. So by the time we got that success, we were a seasoned term machine. We kind of knew we'd come from a DIY punk background. And I truly believe that, that DIY punk background and that experience gave us a level headedness mm-hmm. that meant that whenever whenever trouble gum happened, and we I've seen this from first hand experience with people that get that one step when all of a sudden the yeah. records go from selling outside their fan base to selling across the world. Yeah. They've already got a choice. Mm-hmm. And most of them get quite blinkered going stadiums.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: Uh, and maybe an acting gig, yeah. maybe a production gig, maybe my own fragrance. Yeah. And with us, that never was even on the table. You know, we had no desire to play golf with our Elton John. You know, that wasn't kind yeah. of. With us, it was like, okay, we can now go into these countries, yeah, and we can of now course. go and make friends over here, um, and also then whenever things like the Infernal Love follow-up took mm-hmm. people by surprise and it didn't go down as well, and, and to a certain extent, in the initial few months that album was out, we lost half our fan base overnight. Yeah, we didn't, it was a blow. To our pride, because we had taken great pride in, in what we do as band.
0: Yeah.
1: But we had no point apart from Fife, who left the band, obviously, to make myself or Michael ever think it's all over because we weren't humiliated.
0: Yeah, of course. You know
1: what I mean? And I think if you put all your stock in being a superstar,
0: mm-hmm.
1: regardless of the music, of just being, I want to be famous, I want to be loved.
0: Yeah, of course. And you that you
1: get about criticism. It, I mean, there will be a certain branch of psychology, I'm convinced, in years to come that deals specifically with. With people in the music business, and there should be yeah, anyway. Definitely. But but it's that post-stardom depression mm-hmm. that never really affected us. We kind of thought, well, we're not going to be playing the same size of venues we did on Infernal Love and Trouble Gum.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: But but mo- a lot of other bands split up. You know, I know bands that have got to a certain height, and then when they have to take a step back, can't live with the. Um, shame yeah no, <laughs> so, absolutely, they, so absolutely. they split they split up and then come back three or four years later whenever they think people will be want to see them again because they've missed them yeah but with and us it be. was like well, we started off kind of nobody's from the north of ireland yeah we didn't, we didn't look like slash or axel mm-hmm. we did okay so that was it and uh, to this day it's been step by step and i think once we got infernal love out of it the way we realized that you know it wasn't going to go like trouble gum the rest of our lives yeah it was it was fine we get to play music we get to meet people we get to travel And we get to do all this under no particularly great pressure, Mm -hmm. which is saving grace.
0: And that's the thing as well. Um, If I could be so modest and say that I think that's the correct way of doing it. Because you know uh, you can build a tower as high as you like, but if you're built on sand, it's going to fall eventually. Whereas you've done it the the hard way, and in in my opinion, at least, the correct way of building the foundations. And then you know, yeah, you've had little tumbles, you've had little falls, but then you've risen back up again. And that's testament to you guys as a band, musicians, and people. If that makes sense, um, it, it's, it's a perfect kind of analogy, I think.
1: Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's also about living within your means, Matt. It's, we yeah. have a, lot of, a lot of bands, you know, it's very, very easy to keep doing this thing. A lot of people, when they get a first taste of money, yeah. blow everything. And then whenever they have a dip, go, how much is in the bank? And the manager will go, "Or, er, you know, nothing.
0: Yeah, and they course. go, well,
1: what happened to that six, five, six figure sum that we had? you spent it all on tour. Yeah, haven't two tour buses and a crew of 50. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but we've never really gone down that route, which has meant we've always had a little bit of a slush fund in the background to help us. That, that's something
0: that I'm pretty certain that Ozzy um, has said on a few occasions, of uh, Black Sabbath and said that, you know, they were making absolutely hundreds of beyond money, like money that most people can't comprehend. And then they go to the bank and go, well, where's it all gone? And it's like, well, that'll be the drugs, the alcohol, everything else. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. all just gone and evaporating. And, you know, yeah. so um. Yeah, it's again, kudos to you guys for just plugging away and being sensible with it, I guess, and, and not letting the fame of everything go to your head, which is, you know, while you're still around 34 years after the event, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had a really good event. I bumped into Steph Carter from Gallows, used to mm-hmm. be in Gallows. Yeah, yeah. The other day, we were down at Marshall, where we were sending Marshall Records and yeah. Steph did a bit of work down there and we got chatting. And he's, going, he's trying. He's working on a program at the minute where he's trying to educate people about the music business. Amazing. And he was saying that what people need to know is there's a couple of things which I thought was genius of mm. People sort of think that if you're not Ed Sheeran, then yep. you may as well give up. Yep, no, but absolutely. Ed Sheeran, uh, to make an Ed Sheeran stadium show happens, there's about 500 people. Yeah, All those absolutely. people look at worthy jobs and that show would not happen without those 500 people. You can still be in the music business because you could be one of those 500 people. Yeah. But people sort yeah. of seem to think in the music business that, you know, the, if if there's a game well for argument's sake therapy, a therapy play, I don't know, the waterfront, in Norwich,
0: yeah,
1: you know, and you've got not only the band on stage, you've got all the crew that we have with us, the people selling the merch, the people driving the bus, the hotel that we stay, and the people working at the waterfront itself, at the bar, on the security. Yeah. So you're already in like 30, 40 people all getting paid to do that job. Yeah. So you have to be kind of careful and considerate, and you also have to think about, you know, how. Much money you want to spend. So if we want to rock up, you know, in a chrome plated tour bus and yeah. stay at the most expensive hotel in East Anglia, yeah, then fine. Then when we come home, even though the show may have sold out, we can't complain that we've got no money. Yeah, no. Absolutely. Whereas if we rock up and stay in, a, in a modest accommodation in a modest vehicle, have yeah. the time of our lives, yeah. and then go back home and still be able to pay a mortgage, that, that I is, think that's a lot better.
0: <laughs> absolutely, that's that's the thing, isn't it? You know, to, they always say that if you if you have a job you enjoy, you'll never work at that in your life. Um, and you know uh, obviously the, this podcast is something that I really enjoy and you know I'm getting a bigger guest such as yourself on and it's kind of like you know it eventually will become the job if that makes sense so it is yeah. kind of a case of just doing what you love and this isn't work for me I get to sit yeah. down with with a man who's made music I've listened to since I was a child Do you know what I mean it's, it's a win-win situation for for me and everybody yeah. else you know um, I wanted to touch upon as well that I didn't know whether you were, whether this was a conscious decision or not, but as the album comes out, it will have been 20 years to the day that um, High Anxiety came out. Did you know that? Were you aware of that or? No. Uh, yeah. So it No, oh, well, thank you for telling me that. There you go. That's a little fun uh, little tidbit for you.
1: <laughs> have to, cause that means Neil will, Neil, Neil will have been a recording member of therapy, Neil Cooper then for, mm. for 20 years. That's. I'll have to get some cake in for the for, for
0: the show. <laughs> there, there we go. Lovely stuff. I, I just yeah. thought that was a cool little thing to mention. Oh, well, I didn't I? know. Thanks for letting us know that. Yeah. <laughs> That's really, really fun. That's cool. Um, uh, one thing I want to mention as well is um, obviously uh, the, the pandemic and everything else is, is such a, an overly talked about topic and everybody's kind of over it. But obviously um, the 30-year anniversary shows, or the mm-hmm. was the 31-32-year anniversary shows because of COVID and things, um you kind of solved my own question really was how do you go about picking a set list because 30 years is is a long time and 34 years is even longer so how do you go about picking a set list and trying to keep everybody happy but keeping yourselves happy while playing the song so that makes
1: sense we ha- we have to do it very um pragmatically mm-hmm. at the end of the day and because initially you you know you can probably imagine we sat down and went this 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 yes this, and yeah. this. Um, we thought, well, we're leaving our- amount and then we think Michael, who's Michael's the best at organising this. The band Michael McKegan mm-hmm. he said, look, there's twelve tracks on the album. That's the twelve top forty singles in the UK. We'll play those. Yeah, and then we'll get complimentary stuff that we'll put in the set. Oh
0: nice. and we okay. kind of,
1: and we also kind of got wind at this point in time that later in the year we might be doing some of those early stuff shows.
0: Okay, so amazing. we knew some of the
1: ultra rare stuff that we could leave for that, yeah. And we thought as well the venues will be bigger than we've done the last time out. People won't have seen us because of COVID. They'll be extra keen to see us when we do play, and it should it's be a celebration. Yeah. So I mean, right up, to, right up to the because the very first night the set in in Bristol, the very first day it was Bristol, mm-hmm. we had to change that set around as well. Yeah. Because we changed the order of it, and um, we went on stage. I, I was, you know, I was quite nervous, and we had the set list written. And we come off stage and thought that didn't really go as well as it could have. It was was it opening night nerves. And the next night when we played, we changed some of the order of the songs yeah. and we got it. And then we stuck with it. Amazing. But yeah, yeah. It, it is difficult for us. In spec- no, no, but we can't win either because we, as you say, we've got 16 records. So every time we'll always leave something out. And I can remember, I remember going to see, I used to love the Smiths when I was a kid. For sure. And the, fir- and the first time whenever they played in Belfast, they played the Ulster Hall, which is... Yeah. Very few bands came to Belfast because mm-hmm. of the troubles, but the Smiths yeah. came my mm-hmm. favourite song of at the time was a tune called Read Around the Fountain, which mm-hmm. I loved. Yeah. And they didn't play it. And I still I actually was told to shut up by my friends on the way back <laughs> to get the buck. Like, well, they didn't play they didn't play it. Because I'd actually taken it personally. Yeah. Is it more to somehow spotted this like <laughs> The little guy outside and said Do you know what tonight just to wind that guy up i'm not gonna play really at right on the phone yeah and then i got home and had a word myself and i thought well i didn't play but they were amazing and johnny johnny Marr was incredible and the crowd loved it yeah but I, so i can kind of understand whenever people get cross with us and go well you didn't play this song it means so much to me
0: yeah well, that's the thing. I think that's a, you know it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because you know if you if you've created this art in in a space with with, with three of your bandmates and things and gone you know and then it resonates with someone uh, who listened you know half across the road or even just down the road listening to therapy, it's kind of it must be a, a nice feeling to go that it kind of resonates with people. So and people feel passionate about it, you know.
1: Mm, it is. It's brilliant. And it's uh, it's just about sharing. I think all of the best things in music are about sharing. You know, if, if I think that someone listens to therapy and gets exactly the same feeling that I got, Mm. the same life-saving feeling that I got when I was a kid. And Bands like Joy Division, Early Cure, um, you know, Early Husker Do. When those bands saved my life, and they did, you know, in my darkest moment, uh, if I think that that's what the three of us make as music or the three of the members since 1989 have made, if those records help people, then that's an incredible feeling. and I'm really, really grateful that that happens
0: absolutely um so i wanted to touch on as well that um cleave the the previous record uh was quite well received by by fans and critics and things how does that does that kind of affect your your kind of your mood or like your vibe when you go into making your record do you even think about it because the way that like for example i make a podcast and the only thing i can liken it to is i'll have this conversation with you now and this won't go out for like two or three weeks but up until Mm -hmm. like two or three weeks it will go out when the album drops It'll kind of yeah. like, oh, that was a thing. I did that. And I've kind of, I've, I've not thought about it since, if that makes sense.
1: Do you have that at all? Or Yeah, we do. I mean, to a certain extent, it does affect us how the record goes down. I mean, there's a certain way you deal with negativity over the years. Yeah, of course. Because, you know, obviously, if, if, if you've spent a lot of time writing the record and, and you've recorded it, put a lot of time into making it, and someone goes, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, 1 out of 10. Yeah. We're only human. Yeah, will of course. And yeah. But what we have learned over 33 years is way of coping with that. You know, it mm-hmm. won't ruin a day. You know, I, you know, I remember actually in Norwich of all places, whenever suicide packed you first, come out, we were all in a really, really good mood. Yeah. And NME had come out and the guy from NME yeah. gave it 5 out of 10 um and he, and i remember all of us went back to the sound check in a really bad mood because we thought it was a masterpiece of noise rock we thought it was really inventive there was lots of really clever things on it um but you know as the years go on then you realize well that didn't stop people buying it listen to it think that's one of their best albums that's i think huge. also regarding where we go with the next record i think that's why we write so much material yeah because like um Whenever we went in to do this record, A hard cold Fire, as I said earlier, we had, I think, 22, 23, 24 tracks. Yeah. And being in therapy, you know, what you heard on the album is what's on the album. Yeah. It's quite similar. You can probably draw a line back to Cleave, High Anxiety, yeah. trouble Gum. you know, that melodic kind of thing. Yeah. But they also didn't hear the kind of Krautrock rock jam or the yeah. kind of jazz influenced Dead Kennedys banger that we left on the cutting room floor to next time. You know what I mean? So For sure. I think, and that, that's going back to your initial question when I started talking to you today. That's at the point where we start beginning to to worry and uh, well, what how much should we be influenced by the last record? It has to make narrative sense the actual yeah. record that we release. And I think we did. Whenever we were making that choice, we said, Well, should we make something more direct? Because Cleave was quite similar. Mm-hmm. Or Definitely. should we go down the crooked timber suicide packed you first, never apologize, never explain, route of experiment? And we thought, No, it's it's after a lockdown and a pandemic, and we've we've just had a successful greatest Hits tour. Yeah. Let's nice. go with it direct direct bangers.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And that that's that's the thing. This this fucking record is just full of just anthemic massive rock bangers. That's <laughs> that you can <laughs> you can have that you can write that on the on the poster if you want. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> but um, uh, so testament to that, obviously, is is you guys in the band, but also um, working with uh with Chris um Sheldon on the production stuff. He's like must be fucking working with family at this point, right? Because obviously Trouble Gum uh, and the previous record before that uh, and and whatnot. So how how was it working with him again?
1: Chris never changes. He's absolutely brilliant. And the very first time we worked with him. What we liked about it is because the band was kind of, it had come off the back of Nurse and Teeth Grinder was a hit and we'd always just got a sound guy or friends of ours to produce records.
0: Yeah.
1: And Chris had kind of done some stuff with uh, with with various records that had charted. And he was he was quite a fledgling producer too, but a few of his records had charted and the, the record company got him involved. And what we liked about him was straight away, he didn't take any of our nonsense
0: Yeah. So you know, he
1: and I I mean, time is precious when you're writing and recording an album. Of course it is. Yeah. And so many producers that we'd come across, where people, you know, we would say something like, "We want to do this kind of uh, Miles Davis middle eight bit before we go into the solo." Yeah. And they would sit and listen to us, and they would listen to this, play this convoluted. I mean, by Miles Davis, I meant there'd be one jazz chord in the middle of it, and uh, and this would be a bit of James Brown drumming for five. Yeah. And then they would They would kind of maybe spend three or four hours trying to tell the artists. That's maybe not the road that you go down. Yeah, Chris wouldn't do that. Chris would just goes, "That's fucking awful." Let's not put that. In. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's kind of with us. I mean, the way we are as people, that makes all the difference. And it just means that you can park something and, and move on to the next thing. And I mean, don't—he's not a philistine by any kind. of you know, he's very, very imaginative. But yeah. we—he had give whenever we did Cleve, he'd actually retired. All he—all he does these days is mix. He—I he, think he gave up now that he's a family man. The stress of working with. With our rock artists, you know, it's just a bit too much. And I phoned him up, I got his number and said, would you be into rehears- you know, doing this stuff again? And he went, well, I'll sure. mix it for you. Yeah. And then he said, but send me the stuff you've got done anyway. So we sent him some demos of the tracks and he phoned me up and I said, oh, well, what is it, to lose? we'll do it. Oh, and amazing. then whenever he was doing Cleave, when we were listening to the mixes, he was already talking about doing the next record with us.
0: Yeah.
1: So we knew in advance that he would be working on this record before we went into record it. He's, he's just a great guy. He's, he's got an amazing sense of humour. Yeah. Like an is. incredible sense of humor. And he can diffuse any situation because whenever you're a band, you're living in each other's pockets. You know, you're in a confined space. You're you'll maybe go somewhere like for three weeks. You know, we did this album in Milton Keynes at Marshall Studios, great yeah. studio. But we lived in an Airbnb, which yeah. is five miles out of town. So, you know, we would see each other twenty-four seven. Yeah. And he's got the right temperament to do that. It's not, I mean, even if you're the best technically gifted engineer and producer. Yeah. It's not the same as working with a bunch of musicians that are in bad moods or
0: yeah. You know what I mean? And he's
1: he's got that down to a the T. There's a lot of psychology involved in petitioning and, and he's fantastic at that. And that's the thing as well, it is kind of like you
0: say, if you if you're stuck in your own head to, to put it like that as a phrase of, you know, like you're trying to figure out a piece that fits in the, the puzzle of the song and you can't get it. And he he'll he you know, I, I imagine he'll come up behind you and just go, sorry, just go take a walk, have a coffee, come back. And do you know mm. what I mean? Because that's the thing. Musicians can be, for for the better word, stubborn sometimes, and yeah. go, "No, I will fix this. I will make this work." And sometimes it's just, you know, I always liken it to, um, I'm I'm rubbish at like leaving things behind. Like I'll lose like my glasses. I'll put my car key down somewhere, oh, no. and the second I try and find it, it's like mm. I can't. It's like I don't have
1: eyes, you know. Mm. So it is.
0: It's a similar thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's very good. I mean, you might have heard this story before. I'm not sure, but he was. I mean he uses psychology really well but this is a really funny story about Go the song on. guy laughing yeah and we were recording that and the initial <clears throat> drums with that song have been around for a long time mm. and the drums were less less of a swing they were a bit more kind of uptight and straight yeah so we were recording it and Chris said to Fife, the drummer at the time said look can you make this swing a bit more give it a bit more of a groove
0: yeah
1: and Fife was quite stubborn and he went no no I like this I don't want to change <laughs> it and he, uh, Chris, who's himself a drummer, went and sat down behind the kit and says, try something like this. And that really wound Fife up. So <laughs> Fife then really dug his heels in and went, I'm not drumming your drum part. And he said, okay, tell you what, I'm not going to bang on. Try it once yeah. and then I'll never mention it again. Yeah. So while he was behind the mixing desk and he just turned around and he said, who's his favourite drummer? <laughs> and I went, yeah, at the minute it's probably John Stanier from Helmet. Yeah. So his Five was going, he went down the top and went, Five. that's brazen. Reminds me of John Stenier from Helmet. <laughs> <laughs> And then that was it. We kept that drum take, and I just thought this guy's a genius. <laughs> I love that. I
0: love that. That's fucking brilliant. <laughs> um, so obviously, being being um, you know, a, a long time as as a touring band and things, is there anywhere that you haven't toured yet that you would like to get to? And also, where is the strangest slash weirdest place you've ever played?
1: Well, the weirdest one is Reunion Island, mm. off near Madagascar, yeah. because yeah. we were. We're, we are French promoted as a French um, part of Reunion Island on mm-hmm. one side of the island. Yeah. And we've done a French tour and uh, quite a lot of people have holiday homes in Reunion Island. So oh. culturally, mm-hmm. they sent us for two gigs. Our French promoter said, well, we're going to take you down to play Reunion Island with a really brilliant punk band called the Burning Heads. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there'll be a local uh, Reunion Island rock band on. And yeah. I, I can't remember the name of it. I think it's, but they were really, they were kind of like uh, Smashing Pumpkins, kind Amazing. of. Alternative. Nice. So there was a three-band bill. And the first the first day we did like um, a club, which was in the kind of French part of Union Island. And the second day it was like an arts expo. Nice. Uh, so there's lots of local indigenous bands playing as well. Amazing. Uh, so the first day was like kind of this 400 capacity club filled with you know, French people and expat French people stage diving and all that
0: amazing and that's
1: weird because you're it's on the indian ocean and then the next day was kind of this kind of uh, arena yeah this world music arena with a lot of very very confused people just looking at the stage going what on earth is this <laughs> <laughs> but that was quite I amazing mean, the, the, the french um, arts council that brought us over there brought us over for a week for two mm-hmm. gigs and it was incredible it's beautiful down there so you know what that was really good so it was but it was strange and there's places that we haven't played uh, I haven't been to China, uh-huh. which I like to, go, like to go to China. Yeah, I've never visited India, Yeah, uh, which I would like to go to. Uh, most other places I think we've, we've been pretty lucky we've been to. Um, yeah. But those are the two places off the top of my head that we would just like to see. Absolutely. I mean, even if busking at the airport. <laughs> I
0: love that. I love that. And so touring touring uh, is, is such a, a physically emotional and kind of um, a mental thing. How do you find it being away from friends, being away from family and loved ones and things for, you know, sometimes months at a time? Do you find it difficult? Or how do you obviously uh, cope with that and things? How do you get through?
1: It's, it's again, it's a learning curve. I mean, I mm-hmm. I thought I'd got my head around it. Um By 1996 and then I met my wife and then when I got married being away from her for the first tour that I did after we got married was something like two and a half months in America and that was strange and then when we kind of we got away of dealing with that you know and it was it was okay and then my son was born and I was away again for two and a half months in America doing an album in Seattle whenever he was just born but then when Neil joined the band we kind of decided on this way because all of us have got family and kids and stuff. Yeah. We've got a really good way of doing it now. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's learned behavior really that we we know what works for us as a band. We've had the same crew for quite a length of time as well.
0: Yeah. Because
1: that that's important if you're going to spend so much time away from home, you have to make sure you get on with the guy driving the bus or the guy
0: of course. that's doing your front
1: of the house sound or the guy selling your shirts.
0: Yeah,
1: And that's trial and error. But It's to be honest, modern technology has made it so much helpful. You know, we, we can talk to people like I'm talking to you now, we can keep in touch on a regular basis. Um, and you know, if, if any of us we, we're very understanding, so if any of us ever needs to go home yeah. and a show has to be called off, we will make it happen, mm-hmm. you know, or, or else if we need to get someone home and back on the same day, we'll do that as well. Yeah, yeah, it's um. We've all fallen into our little habits. You know, we, we kind of, whenever we get on the bus, we know where everyone's going to sit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know on a day off kind of what people tend to do.
0: Yeah.
1: But it's, nice. um, it's, I enjoy it a lot more now than I did. Whenever I, People always say to me about the touring, and I say I enjoy it a lot more now than I did when Trouble Gun was out.
0: Yeah. Because sure. I don't
1: think I was aware when Trouble Gun was out just how magical it was because we were so, it was so intense. Mm-hmm. We were playing all the time. We didn't have any time off. Yeah, and I I wasn't objectively looking at the rise from you know band playing to nobody to a band playing at uh, Brixton Academy because yeah. I was I was there doing it and it was hard work. Yeah, but I think now I can actually sit back a little bit and enjoy. You know, if I rock up at a venue, I can really enjoy being in Cologne or in Norwich or London or, you know, Boston or somewhere. I like can take a bit of time to myself.
0: Absolutely, and that that's the thing as well. It's very uh, it's it's very difficult to kind of look retrospectively at something whilst you're in it because mm. i mean for example i've just turned 30 right so i look back at my 20s and gone like how crazy of a time that was and i'm thinking well actually like looking back at it, it's like at the time i was like this is terrible i want to be older i want to have this want have that and it's like but you didn't you weren't emotionally and mentally tr- mature enough to have those things and to do those yeah. things you know so like when it comes to arts and things it's, it's very similar it's kind of like um like you say when you're just trying to um yeah just learn basically and like you say it's a matter of na- nature and nurture isn't it so yeah definitely. makes perfect sense um so i've got a couple of things i want to finish up with before we before we wrap things up so i don't want to take too much of your time today because you've been mm-hmm. very g- generous with it um and the first of which is uh the in-store dates in the uk um so mm-hmm. bristol nottingham uh london and oxford um mm-hmm. what can people expect with that and and it and look, looks like fun i'm sure
1: yeah it's meant to be the album launch party so it, mm-hmm. they are electric and not acoustic so we'll Amazing. have the full electric so we'll have a full setup we'll play the album in its entirety mm-hmm. because that's 30 it's a 30 minute set so we'll Amazing. play the, so we'll play the full album in it's entirety, be heavy full on yeah. and then we'll hang around as long as people want us to hang around because nice. the show we're on at six yeah um so that we can have as much time to see everyone because we didn't want to do a late one and then only have like half an hour to meet people and get photographs taken sure. if anyone wants to sign so so the gigs will be at six uh they'll be over by half six and then we can hang around as long as people want the only one with tickets left at the minute anyway is um oxford the rest and we're all gone well there so you go <laughs> So it, it should be fantastic we're i mean we're really yeah. looking forward to seeing people but um yeah we're looking forward to it because initially uh people were saying should we do an acoustic show mm-hmm. and we thought well is it possible to do electric shows and the venues that we're playing are places that said, yeah, there's a PA there. You can just rock up with your arms. That'll be good fun.
0: Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. And so I'm a huge fan as say, of therapy and I only have ever seen you guys once, which is a fucking travesty. And I want to personally apologize for that <laughs> because, um, and I, I caught you guys um, at Bloodstock festival. Uh, it was a couple of years ago now. But um, yes. I w- I'd like to kind of ask, how do you find the festival set versus uh, your your own club shows and, and your own shows and things? Because I guess it's kind of like uh, a festival essentially is a, basically a massive battle of the bands, right? And it's kind of mm-hmm. like who can play, not the loudest, but who can draw the most amount of people and things. How do you find the, the differing side of the coin on that respect?
1: Well, we learned uh, in the first, we start, did our very first ever festival Mm. in 1991 when we opened for the cult at Finsbury Park. It was the cult and it was Pearl Jam and Nitsarev and L7 and us. And it was the first time we'd been on a, a stadium stage doing that.
0: Yeah.
1: And then a year later, we, we opened on the Sunday in Reading. Mm-hmm. But we learned very quickly that the most important thing is if you play Bloodstock or somewhere like that, mm. it's not about you. No, for it's, sure. Yeah, it's yeah. about the event. People go there thinking I'm going to have an amazing weekend. I'm going to be among my people Yeah, and, watch, and listen to my music and be with my friends. Yeah. So what What we do at the end of the day is write down that pecking order. So all we have to do is turn up and give a shit. Yeah, that's true. most important. If we go on stage and we want to blow off killing jokes or run after us or whatever like yeah. that. That's not going to work. If we go on stage, go how long we got 45 minutes, which songs are going to get the crowd going? These ones are going to get the crowd going. Are we up for it? Yes. Bang. Yeah. Nine times out of 10, that's what works because a gig like bloodstock as well you know people are very open-minded that's what people forget about rock rock Absolutely. festivals people assume that if you don't go on with a battle jacket and play kind of blues licks yeah you're doomed. but it's a broad <laughs> church these days Absolutely. and that's the way we approach it I took, you know there what i remember very very early on we did a festival i think it was in southern Ireland in, in waterford or somewhere mm-hmm. it was like a sort of some kind of festival and i remember being put off because it was one of the first times i had done it, and whenever we played at Finsbury Park, it was different. It was to see people. Yeah. But it's when you can see people buying hot dogs and stuff in the background. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, but it, it, it's like everything else. If you go into it think, you know, what we're just part of this huge event. That's yeah. all it is. Um, let's enjoy it. You know, let's not spoil it and and make it about us because it's about the people that are buying the tickets and coming to the show
0: absolutely and that's something so the the bloodstock comment is really funny because um the 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 headliner a couple of years ago was parkway drive and i fucking love that band they're amazing mm-hmm. uh, and winston was doing this big speech about you know uh, coming together and being part of the one thing and they just started a chant of mac and cheese like because of the mac and cheese stand <laughs> in the back of the thing and it was just this perfect thing where he just yeah. was like oh fuck it it's not about this it's just play our yeah. fucking songs you know what i mean and it was so <laughs> fucking perfect um, that's brilliant and that's the thing, like, metal is, uh, and rock in general, is such, like you say, a broad church, and, you know, I was speaking to um, the the band Grave Pleasures before, before this interview, and it was a case of, you know, they they do such a different thing, and, like, you can have so many different genre tags for different things, so they're, like, I don't know, a rock, post-rock, punk rock, like, bloody blues, fucking jazz infusion, it doesn't matter. Yeah. If it's good, it's good, and that's kind of the bottom line, in my respect, at least, anyway, yeah. so... And um, yeah, 616 records in, you know, you're doing something right. At least that's what I reckon.
1: <laughs> I think with anything else, it's like if you look like you give a fuck, you might yeah. turn up at the festival and nobody know, nobody knows who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look like you give a shit, yeah, people will give you a bit of a break. I remember we did Ramblin' Man quite a few years ago and it's yeah. very much, you know, blues, heavy blues, heavy rock. Yeah. And we were the only band slightly more alternative punk influenced on the bill. Yeah, and sure. some of our crew were going, "This might not be for us. It's a bit Jeremy Clarkson." Yeah, but you know, when it, whenever we started playing, mm-hmm. we just did a normal show. We gave everything. We got the crowd involved, and by the end of it, they loved it. And if you pay your money and you're going to see 20 bands a day, and one of those bands walks on stage and goes, "Let's plow through this shit," <laughs> let's go. They're going to be the ones you're going to go boo, <laughs> yeah, Undeservedly so absolutely so just, just put in a shift and enjoy it you know what i mean yeah. absolutely what's going can happen people can just walk away to the hamburger stand so
0: what yeah absolutely i wanted to touch upon as well um so uh, this this is kind of phrased in a negative way but it's not meant to so creativity what keeps you going when the chips are down when when life's not going your way what kind of pulls you out of the hole and goes right let's let's fucking do this thing you know what keeps you going what keeps you motivated
1: do something different, discover mm. something different. So, like if I'm if I feel that I've come down a cul-de-sac
0: mm-hmm.
1: of guitar playing, which I did a while ago,
0: yeah,
1: I'll go and say, yeah. right, okay, I'll, I'll talk to someone that's a guitar player and they'll go, you should listen to Wes Montgomery, he's amazing. Yeah. And he's technically he's technically leagues above me. And I bought a book about, you know, some Wes Montgomery licks in it. Yeah. And I sat exactly. down over a couple of months and just learned the Wes Montgomery licks. And it took me a long time and it's frustrating. But that distraction took me away at being oh my god I'm never gonna write a song again. (laughs) and then by the time I went back I thought my god like I just spent two weeks playing Wes Montgomery licks now I'm ready to play some therapy licks again uh things like that and also change things up so like uh, I mean this is gonna sound really really simple but I've only ever seen a therapist once myself Mm. yeah and that was years and years and years ago and he, he said the only thing that he said that stuck with me was it's a bit like um, shaking things up because you can get stuck in a habit and have a yeah, terrible, can't. terrible thing. It's a loop that your mind gets stuck in and you feel you can't break free. Mm-hmm. He said, imagine it like this. If you go out of your house every day, what way do you normally turn when you walk out your front door? And I'm right. You went, okay, well, tomorrow go left.
0: Yeah.
1: And wherever you want to go, go left and then work your way back to go to where you want to go that way. Yeah. And he said, that's like, that's what you need to do. Look at that in life. You know, you might have a great adventure today. You never know. Yeah. And that's how I shake things up. And it's it's not always achievable, but it's a good way of looking at it. It's like, I have a, I have a, my son's left home now and stuff like that. But, you know, whenever he was growing up, I would say the same thing to him. Look, if you're stuck with, with something that you want to do and you would need to shake things up, try something different.
0: Yeah, I love that. That makes perfect sense. I absolutely love that um i'm gonna start to i said this about five minutes ago i am gonna start wrapping things off so i've got a couple of final questions for you and this one needs a little bit of context so it's a little bit of fun and if you if you work with me in this it's all better for everybody um so imagine right that me sat here i am a fucking huge massive podcaster right i've got Mm -hmm. infinite money and i'm inviting therapy along with every single band that ever performed uh, on this podcast to come play a dream festival right Mm -hmm. it's going to be fucking huge what Mm -hmm. i want to know andy is what you are adding to that dream rider right so you could have one request to add to the Mm requirement to the rider and there's no financial restriction there's Mm -hmm. no there's no logistical like restriction there's no physical whatever you can have whatever you want right Now, I've had everyone from saying they just want to turn up and play, which is fair Mm. enough. That's easy. All the way to like a sauna, to a petting Mm. zoo, to a full-sale monster truck fucking rallying thing. What would you like to add?
1: Socks. Socks. Because because most most musicians, when they're traveling... Love that. Socks are one of the first things that goes, and especially Mm -hmm. rock bands because they tend to wear black socks. I love that. So what happens when it's laundry day... Yep nobody has any clean socks. Yeah. I'm trying to, and if you have to do a quick launder, socks can often take a long time to dry. So I would say that every band gets a pair of socks per member, so that, that after they come off stage and have a, a rub down or a shower, yeah. they've got a nice, toasty, clean pair of socks to go into. I love and that. And
0: they'll, they'll be in a really
1: good mood afterwards. And in fact, that, that green room, you'll have a lot of very good-natured musicians in there if they've got clean socks.
0: And you know what? I, I, can, I can attest to this, because we spoke about festivals. I religiously when i go to festivals i always buy a pack of uh, new underwear right new boxes yes. and people are like why and i'm like because there's nothing better than a fresh mm. pair of pants fresh it pair is. of boxes because yeah. when you've been sweating and whatever i <laughs> drinking rolling around in mud if you're completely yeah. like absolutely looking like scruff it's like but i've got new, i've got new boxes on it's all good so it sucks yeah i can totally yeah. attest to that <laughs> <laughs> um i've got a couple of final questions for you the first of which is if you could claim any song or any rift of your own, uh, I'm sorry, if you claim any song or any rift in history and, mm-hmm. and call it a therapy song or or your own uh, riff, what would you pick?
1: It's always been the same answer because mm. um, it's always been Ever Fallen in Love with Someone You Shouldn't Have by the Buzzcocks. Amazing because song. That, yeah. that, that's why I'm talking to you now. Yeah. Because I used to like music as a kid and my mum would play music in the house. Yeah. but that one song it completely I was spellbound I remember exactly where I was when I heard it it was on radio one
0: yeah and I was getting
1: ready to go to school and I couldn't stop thinking about it all day and it was and I said to someone in school about it I, oh they're a punk band and I, at this point in time this is 1978 I was 12 or whatever and yeah he said like no punks are like you know they're really aggressive really and i went, well this is beautiful It was about a guy and he He's fallen in love with this girl. and He thinks he might should have maybe if not fallen in love with her. Yeah. And it was really catchy. And then there was a guy at school called John Gray a year above me. And he had Buzzcocks written on the school bag. Yeah. And he said, oh, you need to get the records. They're brilliant. But then that also tied in with, I used to uh, go to the thing called the Boys Brigade, which is like a scouts kind of thing. And there's a guy there called Brian who gave guitar lessons, which I was never interested in. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, can you teach me how to play the Buzzcocks? Yeah. And uh, he went, oh, what is it? So I brought him in the seven-inch single and he, yeah. he took it home and he came back and he, he showed me the chords and, and the little riff at the start. And I I couldn't play guitar at this time, but that made me want to play guitar and also made me want to be a songwriter because I thought, well, if that song could have such an effect on me, that's what I want to do. Um, And that was why that's got me on the back. If, that had been song, if I hadn't heard that song that day, I, I honestly, and the way it hit me first thing in the morning when it was just up, I might not be talking to you now.
0: I love that. I love that. That's that's the perfect answer. And the last and final question for you is a question I've asked every guest who've been on this podcast. And that is simply, what is the best thing about being a musician, in your opinion? It can be as simple as just playing the songs, or it can be as elaborate as you like, but the point is it's your answer and no one can take that away from you.
1: It's it's the feeling that you get. Mm. When you play guitar for the first time that day, mm-hmm. because that's another thing I kind of try and describe to people. It's like, you know, I didn't just become a guitarist in the band overnight. It was all the times when my friends were going out to play football and I was sitting in my room on a buzzcocks race. Yeah. Or all those times whenever I was young and miserable listening to Joy Division, and yeah. I, was, I put myself a bass playing Hookie's bass lines. Yeah. Whenever I pick up my guitar for the first time in the day, that's like, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, it's, you still get that feeling. And that's that's what it means to me. Well, I mean, this mm-hmm. is in my kitchen. It's not like me going on stage in front of a headline crowd. Yeah, I'm playing the opening chord to stop it. You're killing me. I think I'm a great golden god. Yeah. It's not that. It's the first time. I, I mean, I've got a couple of little guitars around the house mm-hmm. so that there's always a guitar left to grab. And it's yeah. the first time during the day, whenever I pick up that guitar and just play anything, Yeah, that's when I think, like, ah, okay. Because, you were know, sometimes a money human, sometimes I'll have taken the dog for a walk, done the grocery shop, maybe yeah. gone and done something else, paid a couple of bills, and then it's like when you lift that guitar up, it's like, ah. It, it's a bit like um, when
0: when people, say so people who are like are obsessed with coffee, and they're like, don't mm-hmm. talk to me if I have a coffee. It's Is mm-hmm. it a bit like that? So it's like, not, not that you're unapproachable before you've played your guitar, but it's kind of like, I feel better now I've done it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not someone that I'm not a. Uh, I'm not one of these Satriani or somebody that plays three hours a day. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's the fact that it's the connection I have with the yeah. instrument. Yeah, and it's like, obviously, it's a weird old thing being a musician because unless you're with an orchestra mm-hmm. or uh, unless you're with, a, you know, a wedding band or something that plays every single day at the same time, there'll be sometimes with a rock band when you're at home for two or three days at a time, yeah, even course. longer. And it we learned a long time ago that it's important to always, Play the instrument so you we'll know take a couple of days off by all means but don't leave it sitting gathering dust in the corner.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the thing. I, I can attest to that. So I, I picked I picked up a bass uh, guitar um from like Facebook Marketplace literally like mm-hmm. about five years ago and it's just been gathering dust and I keep meaning I, every so often I pick it up and I, I don't have any musical ability on a bass guitar but I try I'm trying to learn it and I do it for like maybe an hour or so and I go right okay I'll put that back for a little while and then I come back to it. But eventually by the time I'm like 65 or something, I might have learned it. So <laughs> yeah, it's persistent. You know,
1: the best tip is rather than give yourself 10 minutes a day. Yeah, 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 remember, for sure. I remember years sure. ago, somebody told that about me when I was trying to work out some, some licks. Mm-hmm. This was even whenever I was in therapy. And they said, well, you're sitting down for an hour yeah. trying to work this out.
0: Yeah. He said,
1: "And then what will happen is you get pissed off and you'll not touch it for another three or four days. You'll not touch that piece of music. Yeah. Give yourself That's... 10 minutes. And if you do t- 10 minutes a day, every day is better than doing an hour once, in, once on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, is there anything that I've missed?
0: Um, so the, the 16th studio record, Cold Hard Fire, uh, will be out now as everyone listens to this. Um, the the, uh, the tour and stuff for the UK in, in-store shows are sold out with the exception yeah. of Oxford, which will probably be sold out by the time this goes out. Is there anything that you'd like to add at the end, anything you'd like to mention, anything I've missed?
1: well no we, we will be going on tour uh extensively mm-hmm. after so we will be doing some festivals but you know once august is over we will be touring extensively Amazing right stuff. up to christmas uh, uk europe and everything but what i would like to say is that anyone that's um that supports the band has seen a spot of records i mean we could not do this without you guys and people like yourself as well might having us on the show it's like it's all part of this 33 years we have been here and thanks very much for all your support
0: absolutely love that absolutely love that and i just want to say on a personal note thank you for everything um you've been a staple of my of my youth growing up and into my uh, into my adulthood uh, with your music and tunes so it's been a fucking honor to sit down with you sir there we go everybody andy of the band therapy on the nevermind poly podcast we did it we done it we got there <laughs> lovely stuff right thank you so much sir enjoy the rest of your day we will see you next time peace thanks out, everybody so
1: lovely to be on the show and thanks so much for having us on Ten minutes a day,
0: remember that. Ten minutes a day, I'll remember (laughs) that now. Thank you so much, sir. All the best. You're welcome. Take care. Peace, mate. There we have it, Therapy on the Nevermind Polly podcast. I told you it was a good one. Um, This is the second time I'm recording this outro because I realised that uh, the band who will next be on the show, I didn't actually mention because I didn't think I knew who it was, but I do know who it is now. I've looked at my notes. The next band to appear on the Nevermind Poly podcast is the fucking superb Cattle Decapitation. I sat down with guitarist Josh of Cattle Decapitation. This was probably about a month and a half ago at this point now. Um, but yeah, that's the next band on the show. So get excited, get stoked. Um, it's going to be a good one. Anyway, see you later. Peace.